There's some great truth in that song for sure. Thank you for uh, singing and thank you for practicing that uh, song. And thank you again, Pastor, for the invitation to come. And it's, uh, I don't know whether I mentioned this this morning or not, but, um, oh, I've just found a clock up there. There we go. <laughs> there it is, staring me in the face. Yeah, I found a tree on our street the other day, like it's about 100 years old. I've never seen it before. But anyway, it was, uh, see, because fellas, isn't it true? We, we see things differently to women. We see things that, uh, I think that's the truth. We just see things that don't really matter. I mean, uh, um, like, if, if I can't find a pair of socks, Robin will find them in, like, eight seconds. She says, you've had a man look. And, uh, like, you just looked at the, the closed cupboard. No, it's not there. But anyway, um, uh, yeah, it's a good clock. Anyway, <laughs> and if I preach too long, it'll start most probably flashing. That's a warning before the trap door opens. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> thank you for your uh, continued prayer and support of the young family. Uh, I think this morning, I don't know whether I mentioned this or not, but it's almost two years since I've been here to uh, Good Shepherd. Um, it'll be close to that anyway. It doesn't seem that long, but um, <clears throat> because uh, so many of you don't look any older. Uh, some of you look a bit older, but uh, <laughs> but uh, Brother Lloyd here, he doesn't look doesn't look a day over. Just doesn't look a, a fill, fill in your own number there. <laughs> But thank you, Pastor, for the opportunity. Always, we always love coming here and, uh, <clears throat> and it's uh, such a blessing to see what God is doing here. Uh, God is blessing our home church in Coffs Harbour. I spent a lot of time at home last year, um, irritating Robin, no doubt, and I think I was successful at that. Uh, but um, uh, the Lord has blessed our church there and uh, we still can't sing, but hopefully that will change before too long. Um, <clears throat> David and Hannah, our son David and his wife Hannah, uh, David's our Sunday school superintendent and I think we had almost 100 at Sunday school last week It's such, and that included maybe 12 or 15 adults but we, it's just booming and we're so thankful to the Lord. Uh, he said they had uh, five new kids at Sunday school this morning and uh, they love the Sunday school uh, and um, they're doing well. Robin as well, uh, last, no, it was two weeks ago. Uh, just over two weeks ago, we celebrated our, our 38th wedding anniversary. I don't look old enough to be married 38 years, I understand that, but um, <clears throat> it's a joke, okay? Uh, <laughs> Robin definitely doesn't look old enough to be married for 38 years, but um, she's doing well. Her dad is um, just before his 90th birthday last March, just a few days before that, he had a heart attack and... Um, a big fall and he lived up until then he lived in the little unit in front of us and then we had to he obviously went to hospital and uh, things weren't looking uh, he looked terrible on his 90th birthday in Coffs Harbour Base Hospital and we thought well this is most probably the end he's made it to the day and they said no he's not he's not doing real well but he rallied and we we uh, we, we had to put him into an aged care facility he just wasn't able to live on his own anymore. He kept falling over and so on. And then last December, he had a, another large heart attack and ended up in the base hospital not long before Christmas. And they said, look, he's, uh, it, it's pretty grim. We don't think he's going to recover from this. 
and uh, but he got a little bit better, then went to the private hospital. And then a few weeks ago, they said, look, we're going to send him back to his uh, nursing facility. Uh, and But it's normally they go downhill. Older people go downhill very quickly. So just expect the worst. Well, he's, he got back to his nursing facility a couple of weeks ago and he's, he's bright as a button, sitting up, you know, ordering people around, bossing people around out in the garden. So um, he just keeps coming back. <laughs> but uh, Robin is the carer for Ron and, and even though he's in a, a carer, a uh, caring facility now, an aged care facility. Robin is his carer, so that takes up a fair bit of her time. But uh, Robin's doing well. We have six grandchildren now. Uh, little Anne is uh, just over one and um, <coughs> doing well. And our oldest grandson is almost 12. So um, <coughs> life uh, goes on. But um, we are just uh, so thankful to... Um, in the Lord's work and God has looked after us. And I want us to, to look at that <clears throat> in, a, in a roundabout way this evening. So take your Bibles, please. Luke chapter 5, our brother has uh, read very nicely uh, earlier on today. And I want, to, I want us to um, just look at chapter 5 of Luke and uh, <clears throat> learn some lessons from a fishing co-op. Lessons from a fishing co-op. And let's ask for God's blessing. Thank you, Lord, for the wonderful day. It's the Lord's day. We'll rejoice in it. And we thank you for the message of the songs tonight. We thrill to those messages uh, as just as much as the actual music. And Lord, I pray that you bless us now as we look at your word. May we all learn something from your word this evening. And may you uh, set some heart afire, we pray. Uh, Lord, we uh, ask for your Holy Spirit's work through the preacher via your word. And we'll be careful to give you all the praise and the glory for answering this prayer. We pray believing in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not much of a fisherman. I've actually done some fishermen, uh, done some fishing. I'm no Dave Holloway. Okay, That's the, I'm just not. A, I'm, I'm not good at it. Uh, although I have caught fish. Uh, sometimes the fishing is so good you, you you have to catch fish. But I'm just not very good at it. And I, I prefer hunting to fishing. But uh, some people are just good at all that sort of stuff. Um, <clears throat> although I could stand up here for a long time and tell you some fishing stories. Um, they sort of get a little bit bigger every time I tell them. But when uh, Jesse and David, were my, uh, Jesse's um, coming up on 36 now, and David's coming up on 30, uh, he is, uh, I don't know, 30-something, 30 33, I think. Um, Jesse was about 10, Dave was about 7. We were coming north to Brisbane from Bathurst, where we lived at the time. And it was a hot summer's day. We called into Ballina. Some of you will be familiar with Ballina. This is back before the bypass days, of course. We called in there and um, I thought, well, let's go and throw a line in. We'll have a bit of a wander around, let the girls, Robin and the two girls, go for a bit of a stretch and, and, and I'll take the boys fishing, fishing. So we had an old fishing rod and I went into the local fish shop, uh, like a cafe, sorry, or milk bar, whatever they were. I said, look, do you think I could have one piece of white bread? bit of a strange request, and they gave me one piece of white bread, which is actually pretty good bait for brim. You agreed there, Brother Dave? It's pretty good. So I made a bit of dough, put it on the hook. Out on the, uh, on the Richmond River there at Ballina, there was all this on the, it was like the, an old jetty, and there's all these people lined up and they had that glum look. You know when you've been fishing, you haven't even got a bite? Glum look. I turn up with the two boys, made a bit of a ball of uh, you know, dough, put it on the hook, threw it in, Whack! We brought in this brim. It was a beautiful brim. 
You know, I'm not quite sure. I, I know it was good. Um, it was a good size, look, any size brim, that big's good for me, but it was a good size brim, maybe, I don't know, I'm saying, I'm guessing 500 grams, maybe pound and a half, that's a pretty good brim. And I knew it was good because we got all these dirty stairs from all these <laughs> other people. I said, boys, we better get out of here. So, uh, <laughs> so we went back to the car and took off and went over the border. But that was a true story. Um, <clears throat> some of the other stories get a bit bigger, but I'm not much of a fisherman, but... Our story tonight from the Bible concerns a very small fishing co-op. It takes place in the Galilee region of Israel, so named because of the Sea of Galilee, also named Gennesaret, the Lake of Gennesaret or Lake Galilee, sometimes called the Sea of Tiberias. Uh, <clears throat> now, you look up a little bit of information on this, the Sea of Galilee, and it's the lowest freshwater lake in the world. The lowest lake in the world is the Dead Sea, but it's the lowest freshwater lake and it is fed from underground springs, but mainly from the Jordan River, which runs from the north down to the south. Now, it's approximately 200 metres below sea level, 21 kilometres long, 13 kilometres wide, and the maximum depth is a bit over 40 metres. So it's a pretty big lake with a lot of fresh water there. Now, of course, as you read through the Gospels, a lot of what took place took place... Uh, in and around the Sea of Galilee, the Sermon on the Mount, the walking on the water, the calming the storm, the feeding the 5,000, all took place either on or around the Sea of Galilee. Now remember, this was the region where Jesus was raised as a carpenter's son. And everyone, uh, or many at least, I'm sure everyone in Nazareth knew the, the family of, uh, of Jesus uh, and he was most probably known as a quiet, hard-working carpenter. I imagine that the, the wealthier people might have brought their furniture to Joseph's carpentry store uh, or, or, or business to have them fixed, or maybe they bought things. We, we don't really know. But if, if you read through the previous... We don't have time tonight, but if you read through the previous chapters in, in Luke, you'll, you'll see that uh, uh, <clears throat> Jesus was introduced to Israel at about 30 years of age. Of course, he was baptised by John the Baptist and God gave him his seal of approval. He said, this is my beloved son, in thee I am well pleased. And then the Bible says the Holy Spirit came upon him at that time and we know that the uh, Satan uh, tempted him but he found out very quickly that God cannot sin. And then in chapter 4 he started teaching in the synagogue at Nazareth. He quickly made enemies of the religious leaders and he started this incredible but short ministry of teaching and preaching and healing and helping and he became very popular. Now, early on in his ministry, we get to chapter 5 here, and he comes <clears throat> across these two ships standing by the lake of Galilee. The fishermen weren't in them. They were washing their nets, and he got these, uh, <clears throat> one of these ships was Peter's ship, and he made it into a, an impromptu pulpit, pushed out a little bit from the land, and, and there he preached. And then, when he had left speaking, we get to verse number four, and he said unto Simon, and he's about to give a commandment to Peter, Simon Peter. And I want us to focus on this commandment for a few minutes tonight. And this is his commandment. We read it before. He said, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft or for a catch. Launch out into the deep 
and let down your nets for a draft. The commandment of Jesus Christ to Simon Peter. And I want us to notice a few things about this commandment. And here's the first thing. Jesus' commandments are not always logical. They're not always logical. Here's Peter and, uh, and, and his brother Andrew and, um, and, and James and John. We had this fishing co-op. Um, they were, like most of my efforts at fishing, spectacularly unsuccessful. They didn't do very well at all. Uh, you see, fishing is hard work. Um, now, Jesus did not ask them, how did you go last night? It was obvious. They weren't, wa- they weren't cleaning their catch. They were washing their nets. Uh, <clears throat> and, of course, he is, because he is God, he, he knew that they hadn't caught anything anyway. But it was obvious. He knew how unproductive the night's efforts had been. He also knew that that was their livelihood, that was their business, that they needed fish to pay their bills. And yet Jesus plainly commanded them to go back out fishing uh, again despite their failures. Uh, <clears throat> now I imagine toiling all night fishing without catching anything. It's okay if you, if you toil all night and you catch something. But when you toil all night and you don't catch anything, you're most probably a bit down, a bit despondent because you failed. So it wasn't always uh, the most logical commandment, but Jesus gave it anyway. You know, serving God is not always logical. The commands of Christ are not always logical. You know, when, uh, uh, how long has Brother Shemish been in Thailand for? Is it uh, 14 years? When God said to Wayne Shemish, leave the church here, go to Thailand, that wasn't, at least by the world's standard of logic, that wasn't logical. Um, I don't think he knew any Thai. I don't think he was with the mission board. I don't think he had a training school to go with. I don't think, he didn't have anything, he just went. God said, go to Thailand. He went to Thailand. Now that's not logical. That's not logical. Our associate pastor, Mitch Crockett, at our church, he's a physiotherapist and uh, very smart cookie. And uh, uh, Mitch will tell you, he says, God said, go into the ministry. What, and leave all that training? Leave all your business opportunities? Yeah, go into the ministry. At least from a worldly point of view, it's not always logical. But it doesn't have to be logical. We just need to obey him anyway. Here's the second thing. Jesus' commandments are serious. Jesus' commandments are serious. Now, Jesus wasn't playing a game here with Peter. Peter, go out and waste another evening. You know, see, the Lord doesn't play games with his commandments. That's not how he does it. Not like us. God doesn't play games. God never plays games. God always commands and honours his word. Now, we like to play games, and sometimes that's all right. I know, uh, <clears throat> uh, you know, if someone, there's a kid doing work experience, uh, what does the boss get him to do? Go and dig a hole. What do I do now? Go and fill it in. <laughs> My very first job out of high school, 19, uh, January 1980, I was, um, <clears throat> I had a cadetship with Hawker de Havilland at Bankstown Airport. I was, I had a job as a, a trainee airframe mechanic and I was also starting a university course doing production engineering uh, and uh, it was a very sought after job. And, uh, <clears throat> but I remember the first six weeks there I was in the apprentice school and, uh, and of course the, 
for some reason they didn't pick on me. Maybe it's because of my muscles or something, I don't know. But um, the, the, the story was, and some of you would have stories like this, when the apprentice comes to work, you send him down to stores for a tin of striped paint. <laughs> or a left-handed screwdriver, yeah. Or for a large weight, or a long weight. <laughs> and I can see the funny side of that. But see, God doesn't joke around with that. When God makes a commandment, it's very, very serious. And we need to take it as serious. Jesus wasn't joking when he said to Peter, go back out into the deep and put your nets down again. You see, if the Lord calls you to the mission field, he's deadly serious. If the Lord uh, calls you into some sort of ministry, he's deadly serious. It might be a mission field, it might be driving a bus, it might be... um, cleaning a church, it might be teaching a Sunday school class, it doesn't matter what it is, if God leads you that way, it's very, very serious. That's why there's no excuse for sloppiness in the Lord's Word. If you want to be sloppy at home, well, that's your business, but there's no excuse for sloppiness in the Lord's Word. Thirdly, Jesus' commands are often objected to. They are often objected to. And I want us to focus on this verse for just a few moments, uh, a few minutes this evening. Verse number five, here's Simon Peter. He had a couple of objections to the command of Christ. And here's the first one. He said, Master, we have toiled all the night. We have toiled all the night. I think what he meant was, I'm tired. I'm tired. We've toiled all night. We are professional fishermen. We know what we're doing and we are tired. Uh, objection number one here's objection number two he says we've taken nothing we've taken nothing Lord we are pro fishermen we know how to fish we know what we're doing and we have taken nothing Peter was objecting to the command objecting to the command of the Lord you know sometimes we can go for years and take nothing if you talk to church planters like I do quite often, sometimes some of them have gone for years and years and they said, Lord, we've toiled for years and we've taken nothing. Have you ever read the story of James O. Fraser? Great missionary story. Read it if you get a chance. Uh, he was the missionary to the Lisu people. Went for many, many years with no fruit, no converts. And the, the story of his life details his, I don't know if it's depression, but he was just down and, uh, and he just wasn't doing that well, thinking the Lord had left him at times because there were no converts. But you know, God knew exactly what he's doing. And sometimes there's that period of sowing before the reaping takes place. But Peter gave exceptions or objections, should we say, to the commands of the Lord. And then Jesus' commands, number four, are often obeyed reluctantly. Look, him, look at, at verse 5 again. He said, Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Now, I don't think this is how Peter said this. Lord, we've toiled all night. We've taken nothing. But you've said it, Lord, so we're going to go out fishing. You've told us to go fishing, so we're going fishing. I don't think that's how it came across when you look at the context. This is how I think it came across. Lord, we've toiled all night. We've taken nothing. We know what we're doing, Lord. We're pro-fishermen. But, all right, 
If you want us to go out again, we'll go out again. But we're only going out because you told us to go out. <laughs> and that's no way to serve God. But we do sometimes. We obey <clears throat> reluctantly. What did the Lord say? He said, give and it shall be given to you. Give and it shall be given to you. Now, obviously we don't give to get, but that's how it works out. We reap according to how we sow. <clears throat> and uh, we give and yet sometimes, we, some of us, we, we, uh, we reluctantly give that last, I was going to say that last dollar, but what's a dollar now? That last tenner. <laughs> We give reluctantly, all right, Lord, I'll give it. Or the Lord says, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Do good to those that despise you. So what do we say? Do I have to? <laughs> I've been there, Lord, do I have to? This fellow did me a lot of wrong, do I really? Yes, you have to. Oh, all right. All right. The Lord says, lay up treasure in heaven. Lay up your treasure in heaven, not down here. Oh, do I have to, Lord? Can't I have a little bit down here? <laughs> Can't I have just a little empire down here? We so often obey God reluctantly. That's what Peter did. He was reluctant in his obedience. And then, number five, Jesus' commands are often obeyed partially. Look at this. We look at verses 4 and 5 again. Jesus said, launch out into the deep and let down your nets. Plural. Plural. Now, I checked the Greek, okay? <laughs> we don't really need to because we have the King James Bible, but I checked the Greek. Uh, and it's plural. He said, go and put your nets out again. Off you go. Go out in the deep, put them down. What did, what did Peter do here? He said, all right, Lord, at your word, reluctantly... I will let down the net, singular. Singular. I think there's a reason God put these uh, <clears throat> words in here. One was plural, one was singular. Jesus said to let down the nets and there was a reason. He said, I'm going to give you a lot of fish. Peter said, okay, well, I'll put down a net. What do we teach our kids? Partial obedience is what? Disobedience. Yes, when you go to your room, kids, when it's time to go to bed, don't take 20 minutes going to bed, okay? When it's time to go to bed, you go to bed. If it's time to eat your dinner, <clears throat> you eat your dinner. You don't take half an hour to eat your dinner. You see, partial obedience brings its own problems. And we only uh, usually partially obey the commands of Christ because of a thing called unbelief. And we'll see that here. This is Peter's unbelief. His partial obedience did bring a certain amount of blessing, but it also brought a burden. When they had done this, they enclosed, verse 6, a great multitude of fishes and their nets break. Jesus knew these fish were coming. They were swimming along. They were just waiting to get caught. Jesus knew you're going to need a whole heap of nets out there to catch those fish. Peter said, okay, we'll stick the net out. He did, and the net broke. So there was blessing, but the partial, partial obedience or disobedience brought a problem. The net broke, the ships began to sink. Thankfully, Peter admitted his unbelief. And he fell down before the Lord 
Verse 8, he said, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. How many times has God blessed me despite my unbelief? I reckon you could say that's the truth. Maybe despite my reluctance, despite my objections, despite my partial obedience, God has blessed anyway. God knows that we're what we're made of. God knows that we're very good at unbelief, especially in ministry. Especially in ministry. Someone said when the promises of God are involved, think big. Think bigger, as the psalmist said, open your mouth wide. Open your mouth wide. Jesus' commands are often obeyed partially. Number six, and we're getting towards the end here. Jesus' commands always bring blessing if obeyed. How many weeks' income did they receive from this catch? I don't know. Most probably a few. Hey, when God tells us to do something, it's for our blessing and for his glory. God's not trying to make life difficult for us. When God says, hey, love your enemies, he's not trying to make life hard for us. He wants us to reach our enemies. When God says, give and it shall be given you, he's not doing that to make us poor. That's not, that's not my God. God doesn't do that. He says, give and it shall be given you and I'll, give, I'll bless you with as much as you can handle. When we obey, God blesses. Despite our reluctance, our objections, and our unbelief, God's still blessed. And then lastly, God, uh, Jesus' commands always have an underlying reason. And we read that in verse number 10. <clears throat> the Lord Jesus said to Peter, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And what was the end of the day's activities? Verse 11, when they brought their ships to land, they forsook all and they followed him. Left the lot and followed Jesus. So, this tiny Galilean fisherman's cooperative changed the world. They learned the lessons of the day that Jesus could supply their needs in a spectacular way. Later in the Gospels, Peter was to learn that God could um, supply uh, his needs in maybe not quite as spectacular but well yeah just as spectacular but a smaller way I mean he he brought a fish up and there was a coin in the fish's mouth that's pretty good I don't know what's I don't know what's more spectacular but the Lord was trying to teach them a lesson here listen just obey I'll look after the rest of it just obey hey why is it so hard to get people into ministry these days you know, God's plan for sharing the gospel, for bringing the gospel to this world, I don't think it's changed. Go and read Romans chapter 10. Faith cometh by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of God. But how is there going to be the word of God unless there's a preacher? And that doesn't necessarily mean a fellow standing up here or it could mean a fellow standing up here and preaching, but a broadcaster of the gospel. And how is there going to be a broadcaster or a preacher of the gospel unless that person is sent? That's God's plan. And I don't think it's changed since he gave us that plan. So why is it so hard to get people into ministry? Where are the missionaries today in training? Where are the pastors in training? Where are the evangelists in training? Who's going to replace those that have gone? So many of our pastors are getting old. 
they're wearing out. Is God still commanding some to go? I'm sure he is. I don't think he's changed his plan. I'm not saying all have to go to the mission field or into the pastorate. I'm not saying that. Most, most don't. But some do. We all need to be in some sort of ministry. We have so many objections, so much reluctance, so much unbelief that we don't have what is first required and that is obedience. Obedience to the commands of Christ. As I mentioned this morning, last month was uh, marked 30 years in full-time ministry. And uh, <clears throat> I think I've alluded to this, we have to go back, um, <clears throat> I have to go back 10 years before that to 1981. I just came across this in my study the other day. I have a very small study and most stuff I throw out. I don't keep much stuff. But I found my first ever sermon outline <clears throat> preached in 1981. I can't quite think of the month. I can't quite remember. But it was around about 40 years ago from this month. Maybe a couple of months' time, I'm not sure. But it was my first ever sermon and I preached it at the Narrenburn Church of Christ. Don't ask me why I was at the Narrenburn Church of Christ. <laughs> to this day, I don't even know where it is. It's down near the Sydney Harbour Bridge, just on the north side somewhere. I don't know how I got to preach at the Narrenburn Church of Christ. Or I do remember that that day, there was about four or five people in the, in the congregation that day. As they say, two old codgers and three draft dodgers, and that was about it. <laughs> there were a couple of older ladies, and, uh, and my, my dad, my stepdad was with me. And uh, this is my sermon outline, brother. This is it. My very first sermon... That's a fool's cap. That's a fool's cap. Who remembers fool's cap? Typed in a typewriter. I preached on 2 Chronicles 14, 1 through 15. Seven, almost eight pages of outline. Can you believe it? Almost eight pages of outline. And I think, you know, when you preach your first sermon, your big worry is how, I'm gonna, how am I going to last? And this one, that was one of the longest sermons I think I've ever preached. It went for about 45 minutes. <clears throat> and uh, I, I can't, I, I just do not understand why they gave me another chance. <laughs> but that's history there for whatever, I'm not sure if it's good history or bad history, but that's history. Um, <clears throat> but um, the very next week, uh, we were at the Condal Park Bible Church. In fact, at that time, I think it was called the People's Church at Condal Park and uh, in the Bankstown area in Sydney. And I remember um, <clears throat> the very next week, I must have done okay because um, the next week I got to preach in the Sunday morning service at Condal Park. Now, I don't know if you've ever met Pastor Wenham. Or you, you wouldn't have known Brother Jeffress and others. Very prim, very proper, very British. <laughs> in their way and there I was a 19 year old uh, I might have been 18 preaching the Sunday morning service at Condal Park People's Church that's a privilege I don't know if any other 18 year old has ever preached at the Condal Park People Church, People's Church in the morning service the big service and I, I do remember what I preached on I don't have the outline but I remember I preached on Revelation on why this church makes God sick. 
my first sermon at my home church. And I got up and I said, this church is not a hot church, it's not a cold church, it's a lukewarm church and you'll make God sick. <laughs> and looking back, I mean, <laughs> all I can say is that Pastor Wenham was a very patient man. <laughs> um, I somehow got through that message and they invited me to preach again after then for some reason. <laughs> hey, that's what God gave me. Uh, that was 40 years ago, and my sermon outlines were a little bit different <laughs> today, but, but it was, uh, I was, uh, I went to Bible college, I started Bible college in 1982, did four years at Bible college, and uh, one of my Bible college associates was Pastor David Mitchell, we went through Bible college together, and still in ministry still serving the Lord uh, together and, um, and then I pastored for a few years at uh, a church in Sydney's West. I was an assistant pastor, interim pastor there for a while uh, but I knew God wanted me to be in evangelism and, and I was working a full-time job all, all of that time and um, <clears throat> I remember I was working uh, for uh, Australian Airlines. Who remembers Australian Airlines, anyone? Who remembers TAA? Fly TAA, the friendly way, yeah. And then it became Australian Airlines, I think that was 86. I started there in 88. And I had the best job in the world. Like, it was an awesome job as far as jobs go. Dave, you reckon your job's good, mate. This job, I used to take a group of uh, business people to Great Keppel Island for three or four days. That was it. I would escort them up there and I'd be doing sermons up there in my <laughs> little chalet up on the hill there. Uh, getting paid, you know, and occasionally I flew business. Danny, occasionally I flew business. Normally it was first class. It's <laughs> back in the days when you had three classes in domestic. You remember those days, brother? They were the good old days. You got a big dinner. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> and occasionally I stayed in a four-star hotel, but normally it was the Regent. I love the Regent in Melbourne. I had that big corner suite they used to give me. I had lunch one day next to Pelé. How's that? Now, that's brush with fame. There's, you, you beat that one, brother. I had lunch. Now, he wasn't at my table. He was just <laughs> he was at the next table. But I was only that far from him, so that's my brush with fame. How do I get onto that story? Anyway, that's right. I had this incredible job, and I was preaching. I was in ministry and all this, and I knew the Lord wanted me in full-time service. And f so for about a year or maybe 18 months, I had this conversation going on with the Lord. Lord... You've called me to preach. I know I can preach. And I'm in, I'm in ministry. But Lord, if I can just hold on to this job, I can help you out. <laughs> you see, God really needs helping out, doesn't he? <laughs> no, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need any. God doesn't need any help. He condescends to be a co-laborer with us, the Bible tells us. He doesn't need our help. But he blesses us by allowing us to be in his service, in his ministry. And I said, Lord, if I, I can get, I can fly anywhere in the country for 10% confirmed seats. Lord, I can help these little churches. I could work during the week. I can fly on weekends and preach. And Lord, I can really help you out here. <clears throat> and so the Lord said, I don't need your help. I want you in the ministry. But Lord, I've got, uh, I think at that stage, by the time we got to 1990, we had, uh, uh, we had three kids. 
Sarah wasn't born then. Lord, I've, we've got a little house we've got to pay off. We've got three kids and I've uh, got a nice salary. And uh, so the Lord said, um, you don't need that salary. You, don't, you just need to do what I'm telling you. You just need to throw your nets out. Yeah, but Lord, I, I, I can do this for you and I can help you with this. And Lord, I'm tired. And, and I tell you what, I was tired. Full-time ministry and full-time work. So many of you know what that's like. It's tiring. Lord, I'm tired. No, no, no. I want you to throw your nets out. Just launch out into the deep. October, nine, uh, October 1990. October 1990. That was uh, just over 30 years ago now. I remember where I was. I was uh, driving home from work. I was in... Uh, on the Great Western Highway at Wentworthville, in the right turn lane, I had a cassette. Who remembers the old cassettes? Yeah. Who remembers the eight tracks? Yeah, I don't. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> we had cassettes, okay? And uh, <clears throat> I had a cassette of, of um, evangelist Tom Williams was preaching. I forget what he was preaching on. Something to do with ministry. And the Lord just got hold of me. And it's as though he said, time to throw out the net. Throw your nets in launch out into the deep. I said, Lord, I've struggled long enough. We're going to go full-time into ministry. The next January, three months later, I, I resigned my job. We moved out to Bathurst to help uh, Eric Coltus. He was starting a church there. And so I went full-time in evangelism from January 1991. No support, no meetings, no income, no nothing. Now, I'm not saying that's what you should do, but that's just how it worked out for us. We just jumped straight in the deep end. He said, do you have any meetings? Well, no, but there were doors to knock on. I knocked on doors all over town, passed out tracks, worked. I dipped sheep, brother, brother, I dipped sheep, put up fences, worked for the RTA, worked for this place, worked for that place. I just picked up work wherever I could. It was actually, interestingly enough, it was, I went to Adelaide in... Uh, must have been winter time, and I met a fellow named Gilbert Anger. And he had a youth night at Southwest Baptist Church. We had about 200 teens and young, young adults in that building, like it was packed. He said, brother, you're preaching. So I preached, and the Lord moved, and he did a wonderful thing that night. And for the next two or three weeks, I stayed with him at, at Unley in his little flat there, and he, he scheduled me all over, all over Adelaide. And that started me in the ministry, basically. <clears throat> at least as an evangelist. And you know, <clears throat> ever since then, God has been giving us a draft when necessary, a big catch of fish. Sometimes it's a little miracle fish with a coin. Sometimes it's in between. I can tell you, God is good. God, God will look after, he looks after the details. He'll give you the fish when you need it. He'll give you the income when you need it. He'll give you the means just obey. Just obey. Now, I know God doesn't call most people into full-time service. I understand that. But he does call some. I don't know who that is. You know who that is. We have a job to do. Jesus said to Peter, from now on, Peter, you're going to go fishing for men. You're going to go fishing for men. And Peter and Andrew and James 
and John, they turned the world upside down because they went fishing for men. And on the one hand, you had Peter with his reluctance saying, all right, Lord, okay, you've said it, I'll, I'll chuck a net in. And just a few years later, we have the day of Pentecost. There's 3,000 coming to Christ in the one day with this unlearned and ignorant fisherman doing the preaching. Now, I'm no great example of a Christian or no great example of a preacher. I'm not saying how it's happened for me is how it has to happen for someone else. I'm not saying that. It's just how things have happened for us. But I'm just here to testify that say, throw the nets in, get out into the deep, and the Lord will look after the rest. You don't have to have it all worked out. It doesn't have to be all work. You let God do all the working out. If you try and work it out yourself, <clears throat> it just doesn't work out when you try to work it out yourself. Does that make sense? <laughs> you let God do all that. And so many times I've been full of unbelief. And like Peter, I've had to get before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I doubted you. Lord, I doubted that you could, that you could pay that bill. But just in time, something comes in or someone is saved or a meeting is wonderful and our church is blessed. Thankfully, the Lord, Lord knows our frame. He knows our frailties. He knows our sinfulness. He knows our unbelief. <clears throat> what am I saying? We all, need, we all need to obey the commands of Christ. But some need to leave the ship, their ship. Some need to leave their ship get out into the deep water and throw out the nets. Lord, it's not logical. And Lord, I've got objections. And Lord, I'm reluctant. Just do it anyway and watch God bless. And it just may be that God is speaking to one person tonight. And most of the rest of you, I hope you've enjoyed the message. Learned maybe something. But maybe there's just one person God's put his finger on your life and says, yeah, I, I want you. I want you to chuck your nets out. Just step out in faith. I don't know who that is. <clears throat> it's time some of our young people realise that, you know, this Jesus is coming back. He's coming back, I'm telling you, he's coming back. I'm expecting him to come back soon. Obviously, we don't know. We can't set a date on his return. But now's not the time to muck around in, in unbelief. Now's not the time to muck around in disobedience or partial obedience. I just wish some of our young people would just get on fire for God. Say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. You know, where's the next Nathan Lloyd coming from? Where's the next Gilbert Anger? Where's the next Francois Surette? Where are they? Or their wives. Ladies, you've got a job too. If God's spoken to your life, to your heart tonight, just say, yes, Lord, I'm, I'm going to chuck my, net, my nets out. I'm going to trust you.
Let's have all heads bowed and eyes closed. <clears throat> God's spoken to your heart tonight. I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. If you need to make a decision or you've made a decision and you need to come out to the front, just do it now. Just leave your seat and come out the front. Maybe you just need to rededicate your life to the Lord. Maybe focus your eyes back on Jesus as we said this morning. You know what the, the stairs are for? You make a little altar here. When the commands of God are concerned, think big. Think big, plan big. We have a job to do and that is fishing for men. That's our job before Jesus comes back.